Hey, Justin. What's up, man? I got a super special episode planned for us tonight. We got Brad Smith, developer of Lizard, on the show with us to talk about the game. Oh, man, how exciting. That is exciting. Hi, Brad. How's it going? Hello. So what we're going to do is, uh, as everybody knows, we recorded a Patreon episode about Lizard. uh, And... We were going to, I, re, I reached out to Brad. He was gracious enough to join us for the show. And I thought it would be a bad idea to put that behind the paywall. So we're going to, we're going to give you guys the interview, everybody. And then if you want to hear more and you want to hear us talk about the game more in our normal show format, you can uh, join us on Patreon to hear that. But for tonight, we're going to uh, just do the interview and talk to Brad here. So. Brad, we were talking a little bit before the show started. You were telling me a little bit about your background, and I was actually uh, pretty impressed with your story leading up to where you're at now. So do you care to uh, go back into that just a little bit? Uh, you said you worked for a somewhat big-name uh, company and a little some startups that actually kind of sounded familiar to me, and I'm sure a lot of people out there would probably know them as well. So you care to go into that a little bit? Uh, sure. Okay. So... Um... Where to start? Uh, so after university, I did I did degrees in music and computer science, sort of at the same time. And when I was done, uh, I was looking for a job in video games or something to do with um, computer graphics or something. I knew I had some skill in, uh, and I found a job with Obsidian Entertainment, and I moved to California to work for them. So that was my first real job. Um, I worked on an RPG uh, for the Aliens franchise that was eventually canceled, but, I mean, <laughs> that was a couple <laughs> years of my life we worked on this game. Wow. How does that um, feel? <laughs> I don't know. It happens. <laughs> yeah. Well, if it, was your first, if it was your first project, that's some good practice. I, yeah. I mean, I, I learned a lot. I I, I don't know. It was a good experience making it, but uh, yeah, it is disappointing that it got canceled. Um, I've heard a statistic in software in general, like at least 50% of professional projects get canceled before they're, you know. Um, I, I would believe it. it Even might... in uh, my field, I feel like half of the projects we work on, we start and they get canceled. So, <laughs> Yeah. And I, it might even be higher than that in games. And like so many things that get canceled, you just never hear about. So you don't even know. Um, anyhow, so that was my first <laughs> uh, game development experience. I also worked on Alpha Protocol while I was there. That one did come out, but uh, I was a little less involved in that. And a lot of the stuff we did on Aliens eventually got reused in... Um, dungeon siege 3 they did um i was i had left the company by the time that came out but some of my work seems to be in that game that's good um so that was cool to see after obsidian i moved back to canada uh where i'm from and i got involved with a startup company that was eventually called kill space entertainment um we managed to make one game uh, which was like a Yars Revenge 
reboot slash sequel or whatever. I don't know how much of a sequel you can make to the original. <laughs> I don't know if you've played the 2600 game, but... I have um, played it a little bit. Yeah. It, uh... I don't know. It was kind of cool, but, you know, I don't think it did very well. We did... Hmm. We did some work that eventually went into the game called Rocksmith. Yeah, um, I was just playing that last night, actually. So that's interesting. Yeah, like, like the guitar. I guess it's a sort of a guitar teaching. I haven't actually played the finished version of it. It, um, it is a, um, I, I mean, it's basically a rock band, but you use a real guitar, so it's almost like a teaching tool. I yeah. use it to, I, I, I really like it personally, too, because uh, you jam out to... Uh, you can jam out, pretend like you're in the band, kind of, because the backing tracks are with you, you know. So I think that's kind of neat. Um, but anyways, so it was that was kind of a, an interesting experience. The our company didn't have a great relationship with Ubisoft, and <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. It was kind of I don't really want to get into the weird things that were going on with that, but. So, like, we did a bunch of work on sort of a prototype version of that, and um, I was—I assumed it was just like a thing they worked on, and it was going to be canceled. We didn't hear about it for a couple of years, and then Rocksmith comes out, and I see it, and I'm like, "Hey, <laughs> I recognize <laughs> that stuff that we made." Uh, we got our company got credited. I don't think anyone at the company was named in the credits. It just says Kill Space Entertainment, and it. And we're only credited for Ducks minigame or something like that. Uh. Um, but I don't know. It was funny. Like when we saw that, uh, one of my friends says, like, that's the credit we deserved. <laughs> Just because of how things were going. <laughs> I don't know. That's uh, funny. But even like game credits are kind of like that sometimes. Um, it's just really weird about who to credit for what. And people enter and leave a company enter and leave a project at different times you see big big uh budget games where they just have like pages and pages and it's like everybody whoever worked on whatever is listed in there and it's kind of weird but you still have i don't know i've heard about policies at like ea or something where it's like you can only have credits on three games a year doesn't matter how many you worked on (laughs) that kind of thing huh that's interesting. I don't know. Yeah. That's kind of mm. weird. But uh yeah, so after that I I I did contract work for an engine company that was um the Gamebryo engine. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's it was used in a bunch of games. I've but... seen I've seen it appear at the uh, intro to a lot of games. So yeah, yeah, I think Bethesda was sort of a big fan of that. It was used It seemed like our primary market was in Korea. There are a whole lot of Korean games using Gamebryo, but hmm. uh, I don't know. I didn't have direct contact with that. I was just sort of working on the engine internals myself. But So I did that for a little while, and I just sort of saved up my money. And while I was doing that, I had a growing interest in the NES just from a um, like a, a hobby programming perspective. And I just... It was such a neat piece of hardware that I really wanted to make a game for it. So when my contract was kind of winding down, I sort of made plans. Uh, I'm going to make a game, and that's that's what I did. So that so brings us to today, huh? Yeah. 
So where did your NES experience begin? Did it, did you play it as a, as a kid growing up or did you just yeah. it later in life or what was the, um, I didn't own one. I wanted one really badly when I was a kid. Uh, I had friends that had one. I had a, you know, a cousin that had one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would I would be at a friend's house and I'd play it and then uh, have a lot of fun. But I, I never had it at home for the longest time. So I would say I played it quite a bit, but I never, like, uh, had a chance to play NES games at home and like play them all the way through until until like emulation happened I guess you know like in the late 90s when like Nesticle came out Mm -hmm. I could could run a game and it didn't run you know totally correct but it was enough to play stuff and have fun with it Um, and then yeah at some point I it was around like 2006, I think, something like that. I found this program called Family Tracker, which lets you make music uh, for the NES. And I thought it was really cool. Um, and I started making a cover of Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd, like just the whole album. Yeah, yeah I got, that's really cool. I did about half of this back then. And then I put it on the shelf. <laughs> it's like, I was kind of, I got to a point where I was bored of it and I just didn't look at it for like years. Uh, and then I, a couple of years later, I came back to it. And I was just like, I really wanted to finish that. I've done a lot of music transcription projects like over the years. Like I used to, um, you know, I had a band with some friends in high school and I often would like transcribing things especially like video game things for us to play. Um, So for me, it was like the same kind of thing, except I'm transcribing for a machine to play instead. Yeah. The other way around. Um, So it sounds like you've got a pretty extensive music background. You did, you said you studied at a university and then. Yeah. I've got a bachelor of music. I, I don't know. I studied history, some performance, some composition, like a, what, well, um, did you grow up playing music? And what instruments did you play? Oh, uh, I had piano lessons when I was a kid. Like, um, I don't know, when I was pretty young. I don't know how old, like four or five years old. But <laughs> my parents decided I should do piano lessons, and I did that through school. I didn't like practicing, and I wasn't that great at piano, but I was interested in just music itself, um, writing, listening, and in high school, I did really well, like in the music classes there, there were more kind of, you know, it wasn't about playing. I didn't play piano in high school. I guess I played trombone through high school, but it, it's not just about your performance, you know, like there's, there's listening and writing and thinking about music and music theory, um, just how things put together are put together and even being in a band, like um, being able to listen to what everyone's doing, hearing what's going on. There's all this stuff. That's not, uh, not just the performance of playing an instrument aspect, which I've, I don't know. I think I'm competent at a few instruments, but I wouldn't call myself like a virtuoso in anything or 
Um, yeah, well, I think your I think your music background. We talked about this a little bit on our episode that we when we were covering your game. But I think your music background really kind of shows in your game. Uh, I mean, there's other aspects of the game too that that mm-hmm. we can talk about as we as we discuss. But I think the music aspect and the way it works with the game and how it mm-hmm. kind of interweaves with the different segments of the game. I, there's really some interesting things going on there that I think you almost would have to have a music background to come up with a way <laughs> that some of the stuff flows together and stuff. So I, I commend you on that. And it, it, uh, it, it makes sense now that I've heard some of your background, you know? Huh. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess I don't really think about it. Um, well, what I put into the game in terms of music, I think about just in terms of what I want to do with it. Uh, yeah, I guess what I was getting at is it kind of the part of the game that you're in, the music matches it. And so it's almost yeah. like a feeling as as much as it is a, as much as it is a song or a composition, you know? Yeah, I would say there's a few things I was trying to do with the soundtrack of Blizzard. Um, part of it is just uh, each place needs its own music just so you can... Um, know where you are in the way that like you hear this tune and you know it's associated with this place but because the world is a big open world and the different areas are connected in multiple ways it's not that linear a game um i wanted there to be some additional ways for you to kind of be oriented about oh i'm back here again i'm hearing this music or oh i'm somewhere new like i've reached a new place so right. there's that kind of clue as a baseline. Um, but there are other things like, you know, I have I have a little piece of a melody that is present in every single track in some form or other. Um, sometimes it's longer, sometimes it's shorter, but it's always there. And I wanted that to be kind of familiar and kind of sticking around as you're listening to it. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Uh I got I got another question about the the game just in general. Then uh, what uh, you I know you said you didn't play as much NES younger. You played a lot of, it, but you didn't actually own one. So what kind of games influenced uh, Lizard? Were there um, NES games that influenced it, or were there uh, games oh, for I'd, other I'd systems? Definitely NES games had a factor. Um. Like, I, I would say the game that had the most influence on it was uh, Prince of Persia, which I played, okay. um, like, the DOS version on, on PC way back. But I would have played it around the same time I was playing other games like Super Mario Brothers or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, but it being a game I had at home, I could... I um, That game has a lot of kind of open-ended exploration it is a series of levels so it's more um kind of more regimented more linear than my game but when you get to a new place like you don't know where to go and that's something that's a bit a little bit unique about prince Persia. is just like you could need to go up or down or left or right like you you really have no idea when you first get to a new place and um so there was a whole 
aspect of, of just needing to try, try all the different ways you can go, not just, hey, just keep going to the right and you'll eventually get there, you know? Um, yeah, so you, you were aiming for a big-time sense of exploration in the game. Right. Yeah, I'd say so. Like I, I wanted. I, I didn't want the game to tell you where to go. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, that's a sticking point for a lot of people too. Like that's not everybody wants to play that game, but that's. Uh, <laughs> that was very much what I wanted Lizard to be. <laughs> yeah, I um. Well, when we were discussing the game, I actually, personally, felt like it seemed somewhat similar to um, like a boy in his blob. It kind of felt that way a little bit to me. Of course, there's no blob, but uh, mm -hmm. it's all about, it's the exploration and then you have these different abilities in different areas to do, you know. So to me, I, I really, which is a, definitely a compliment, by the way. I, I mean, some people may not like a boy in his blob, but me saying that your game reminded me of boy, boy in his blob is definitely a compliment for me. So I've seen that one a little bit. I haven't actually played that one very much. Um but yeah, I kind of, there is, yeah, from what I've seen, there is a lot of kind of um, coming back to places and trying different things when you, when you unlock new, uh, new jelly beans you feed to the blob, I think. Or... <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the way that yeah. game works. But I mean, it, it, um, it actually, by me, me saying that, it kind of puts you in a fairly unique realm on the NES because um, and not by me saying that, by the game you design is what I mean. <laughs> but uh, it's just it's a unique exploration which is completely open ended. Um, there's not a lot of games on the NES like that. So, yeah, I I that, that's another thing. Like I I was um I wanted to make an NES game, but I also wanted to make this game, and I like I I didn't feel. <laughs> I didn't want to make a game that already existed with, you know, just like a new theme or something like that. Like I wanted it to be a bit opaque at first. Like I want I wanted someone to start playing it and not know what to do and have to figure it out, like try things and see what happens. And that's been a real I don't know what to do in terms of trailers or what to tell people up front about the game. I've seen people like go into it and play it and they play it for a while and they find one boss and there's uh, kind of like an ending and mm. they assume they have seen the whole game. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I, Yeah. I was just going to say, as far as that being your goal, uh, as far as for me sitting down and playing it, it was mission accomplished. <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, we talked about it on the, the the episode that we recorded about it. You know, I always try to sit down and, and play games as, without looking at a manual, without trying yeah. to do anything. Just just sit down and try to figure it out. And then there was just okay. Here, there was a lot of exploring before I really kind of figured out kind of what to do. Mm -hmm. We really found the first lizard and and all that. Which brings me to my next question. Are you what was what gave you the idea to, to make the different abilities lizards and uh, seemingly a lizard 
costume. I see that your picture here, and, and as it is on Twitter and everything, oh, yeah. is actually you in a in a lizard costume. So where was your inspiration on that? Um, well, it's, the the costume is directly inspired by Bubble Bobble, um, which is another okay, game yeah. I played really early on. Um, it was probably the first video game that I really really loved. Um, we had a pirated copy of it for the Atari ST. Um, so this is like 1988 or something. We got this game, or maybe, maybe even early 87, something like that. Um, and me and my dad would play it, and eventually we beat it. And I think it's like the first kind of lengthy game that I ever actually completed. Yeah, that game does get pretty long. I mean, there's well, yeah, over 100 a, levels, I think, right? Something like that. Uh, I think it's exactly 100 levels. Oh, maybe it is exactly version, 100. Because it was pirated, it actually crashed on the last screen. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we got to it once, and it just showed for an instant. And I could see everything that was supposed to be, like the final boss. Um, I could just see it for one frame. And I rem- I still remember what it looked like. I've since like gone back and like, played through the whole game and whatever but it was just weird uh that game had a lot of weird mystery in it that was um very very strange and very um what's the word very profound to me as a kid um like there's one system in the game where if you do the first 20 levels um not sure if it has to be two player or not, but if you do the first twenty levels without losing life, an item will appear, and it looks like it's like any other. There's lots of random items that appear while you're just playing the game, um, but yeah, like this item appears and it's like this door with flames next to it, and it just like pops into existence ten seconds into the twentieth level or whatever. But if you go in there, there's like a bonus room with like diamonds and shooting stars that you collect but there was also this alphabet at the bottom that like you can't read but it's a <laughs> you know it's a direct cipher for you can match it one to one with a to z letters um but you'd have to you'd have to like write it down or whatever. i don't know how they expected people to figure it out or maybe <laughs> yeah, they just no didn't idea. expect people to figure it out i mean people eventually did but um, I mean, this they was an expect, arcade yeah. game in like 19, I don't know when it came out, like 85 or 86 or something like that. This is an arcade game. Like you don't have digital cameras to even take a photograph. Like how would someone playing the arcade game be able to capture this alphabet and decipher it? I don't know. <laughs> oh, who knows? Yeah, that, that is, that is interesting. Um, Would but even Polaroids being at, at home, that time? what's that? Did we have Polaroids at that time? Maybe we could just Polaroid it. I guess you could take a Polaroid. <laughs> <laughs> or like i mean you could take a regular photograph if you had a camera <laughs> Get, and then take it to the red room and then come back the next um, next week or something <laughs> but but discovering that once it was just like how did this happen like a, an event that's so rare because like this didn't i had been playing the game for months before that happened you know what i mean like we had to get good enough that we beat 20 levels without without you know perfectly so but just just a secret like that being embedded in the game and 
like I I wrote down everything I remembered about that. I drew pictures of this room, but <laughs> I don't know. So I like I never went further and like unraveled the whole mystery or the alphabet, but you can find that all in, on the internet now. So it, I guess the follow-up question to that then is is there stuff like that in your game that people have not discovered yet? Um I would say there there's stuff that I intend most people not to find. Um there, there's stuff that's fairly deeply buried. I think the people who are uh, really interested in finding everything will find it all or close to all of it. <laughs> mm. um, I would say I've had confirmation of people discovering almost everything, not quite everything, but pretty much. That's pretty crazy. And we were, we, we discussed this several times, Jess and I, but the fact that, we're playing a new NES game that people have not necessarily discovered that we can't just go look up cheats on the the internet or something. I mean, that's pretty cool. You know, that's gotta be, you know, I have, uh, you know, I've leaked cheats on Twitter. There are cheat codes. And I thought that was important too, just because, um, well, I think it is a difficult game. And Mm -hmm. I also think, not everybody want, is going to want to play it by its rules. And I mean, like, Game Genie exists. I don't mind if people use a Game Genie, but I figured there should be a built-in way just if if this game isn't giving you the experience you want, but you still you are still interested in it and want to play it a different way, there's cheat codes for you. I thought that was important to have. Well, and that meshes well with the system you release a game on too right that's that's kind of a staple of games back then you know um yeah actually i put in big head mode which was really weird (laughs) i that was i wasn't expecting to do that i was expecting to have some sort of cheat codes in my game but when i was at obsidian uh one friend of mine was really interested in big head mode (laughs) <laughs> and we had actually inf- I had helped implement it in the Aliens game we were working on nice. um, and actually uh, Pillars of Eternity which was one of their recent releases well a couple years ago that had a big head mode in it and I was pleased to see it there nice. but I mean that goes back to NBA Jam yep uh, that was an arcade game, but I played it on the Super Nintendo back then. Oh, yeah. Love um, me some big head mode. <laughs> it's just like the silliest <laughs> cheat, and I, I think it's wonderful. Yeah, it was great. I used to do that a lot, too. NBA Jam may have been like one of my favorite Grant games. Like It was uh, it was pretty up. neat. It it took the like the sports genre and just like made it really goofy and fun, mm-hmm. and it was yeah. fast. Fast and fun action. Um, but yeah, so so there was sort of a, a an obsession with big head mode. And I wasn't I didn't think it was possible to put in my game. Um, like so the NES has very limited amount of memory. You have to fit all the the sprite tiles that you want for any uh at one time into like this one page of four kilobytes of memory or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, I had filled up my budget <laughs> already. 
there was no room for extra tiles for like the character. And if it was big head mode, they would have to be there all the time. So I just, you know, I was like, I, I'm a fan of big head mode, but I'm like, I, you know, this is out of scope for an NES game. I'm not going to even try. Um, and then at some point I, I was just having a conversation with some people like with a friend on Facebook or whatever. And I was like, ah, yeah, I really wish I could put big head mode in my game. And then someone just as a joking response posted a video or no, they didn't post a video. They asked a question. I forget what they said, but there's this video uh, of someone like trying to draw two lines on a whiteboard or something. And people keep asking him like, questions that only make sense if you're not considering like what he's actually doing <laughs> um i i forget what it was but he just he was he was acting at this video just as a joke he, so he's asking like just questions like belligerently you know does your game have heads why can't you just make them big or something like that <laughs> and and all of a sudden me <laughs> like i didn't even know how to react i didn't know he was joking at first it just sounded uh like i knew he was sort of joking but then all of a sudden i was like wait wait maybe i can do it <laughs> <laughs> and then i thought of a way like i realized when i'd made the the sprites for the lizard there were a couple pieces of it because the sprites are made from little tiles so maybe you know everything's in blocks of eight by eight pixels. Mm -hmm. and usually a character is like two blocks wide, two blocks tall, or maybe taller, four blocks tall. Um, but in some of the frames, you had some of the same kind of like, maybe the back of the head is the same, or maybe like the piece of the tail is the same. And I could just reuse that. And the reused ones I could eliminate and fill with a new tile. And then I thought like, how many do I need? I had just enough to squeeze out of that optimization effort to squeeze in a large head <laughs> <laughs> and nice. i didn't think i could do it and it just sort of happened so it has big head mode and i don't know if many people will use it but i think the i, I hope there's some joy in turning it on once and oh, i am using yeah. it the next time i play for sure now yeah. that i know it exists um i may only play in big head mode <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I will say, uh, big heads aside, the graphics in this game, this game's beautiful. Uh, and I, oh, thank I, you. It has so many colors that I, I didn't even know the NES could have that many colors on the screen at one time. I'm so used to playing NES games that are just 10 different shades of brown, you know? Yeah. With maybe I like a little blue character, but... Oh, well, thank you. I I find that the one of the hardest parts or the most... Um, Dealing with the colors was a very, um, a very big issue, or it, it's one. I think it's the way that the Nintendo really makes the biggest mark on how this game, uh, not just how it looks, but how it plays. Because um, managing what colors can go together, I also let that carry on to objects. Like I didn't let. Um, you could have, in a lot of games, you have one enemy and they just appear in whatever color is convenient for mm -hmm. that situation. I, I made myself a rule, like, you know, if this is an enemy, it appears in one color, all, it's always consistent. Um, 
so I wanted to make sure of that, but it meant uh, because you can have so few colors on the screen, I have to, I can only put certain enemies together that share the same colors, or I can only put, you know, two different color sets on the screen besides the main character, or I have to share colors with the main character. So that was, um, that ends up affecting the design and layout of the rooms in the game quite a lot. Like, yeah, I'd say so. Um, and it doesn't have to, if you don't put that constraint on yourself, if you just say, I don't care what color it is, it'll just be whatever fits in that room. Or you could be like, uh, a game like Battletoads where there's basically, um, most enemies are just the same color throughout the whole level, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Or I think most of the backgrounds throughout at least one entire level is mostly one color too in a lot of the levels and battletoads uh, yeah. maybe well, like the backgrounds and the characters they have kind of a separate budget but they have it's a budget of the same size but it's a ah i got background colors and there's there's the things that move all the sprites they gotcha. have their own set of colors okay um but yeah managing that was was difficult <laughs> or um not so much difficult as it's it's a thing that makes this into a game that belongs on the NES. Like I, if if that restriction is gone, I would design the levels very differently, which that was really interesting to me, um, hmm. just being in that position. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> feeling, interesting to think about. Yeah, feeling that the the Nintendo is making its mark on my game by being limited in that particular way. It really makes you wonder how many other games had the same experience, you know? Um, well, I could say an example, like, uh, if you play Double Dragon on the NES, um, you'll find, I think there's only, you can have one type of enemy at a time or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and there might be two or three of them, but they're all the same enemy. And you have to defeat them before you get to the next area and another enemy could appear. I think um, we may have even discussed that when we talked about that game, but that's been like four years ago when we talked about <laughs> Dragon, so I can't really remember very well. But yeah, I think I remember the, the talking about that. So I think that's a similar set of constraints where like either the limited memory or the limited colors where it's just uh, you can only have these combinations of things at a time or you have to make a game that's divided into pieces so you can unload one and load in a different one. Um, and I'm sure that's kind of all over it, but it's mostly, it's not so overt unless you, unless you were making that game, you don't really know how it's affecting it probably, but hmm. I think it's there in a lot of games for sure. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's yeah. That, coming from somebody who, even though we do an NES podcast is pretty ignorant as far as developing an NES game. Uh, I find that just fascinating. Yeah. It's really to, interesting. Um, yeah. So I had a question also about the, so we've talked about a lot of the aspects of the game, but the map of this game is pretty Mm -hmm. intricate. Um, And it's got two, it's like almost like two flip sides of a piece of paper because you can walk through the door and you got the whole opposite side. Um, I'm just curious how much time or how much effort went into designing the map because it's laid out. uh, One, sometimes it's laid out frustratingly, but that's not, (laughs) that's not your fault. (laughs) It may be intentional. Uh, well, but two, it's uh, it's laid out so that it everything kind of meshes together 
front side and back side. So I, it just seems like there was a lot of thought that went into that. And I was just kind of curious your thought process on the map. Um, the map, the layout of the map, I, I had ideas for various areas and then how they could relate to each other. Um, so the idea of the idea of there being two sides and I wanted them, I wanted them literally to be like sides of a page and that kind of ties into the the hidden story of Lizard. I, I wouldn't say there's an ex- explicit story. Like you'll never, there's no book to read or anything. But there is kind of a, a a consistent backstory that I have for the game that is expressed a little bit. I wanted people to be able to make their own um, mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. imagine imagine what they want to fit this game in a framework if they want. Um, but I do have, at least on my side, some idea of where does this world exist and how does it exist and and, and what has come before you're here, like that kind of stuff, um, which I'd never want to reveal just because I like people to have, I like imagination. I like people to be able to think about it and come up with their own ideas for it. So I, I would never want to kind of stop that by having oh, yeah. The author's version, <laughs> um, but anyhow, so like two sides of a page I wanted, and I made it. Um, I'm not sure if I've ever seen this in another game, but I made it so one side is the reverse of the other, like you are on the other side of a page. Yep. So if you go that. left in this side, you're traveling the equivalent amount right in the other side, um, and that's supposed to be confusing at first until you until you realize what's happening. I've, I've seen people go like left and then they go through a door and then they go left for a while and then they go through a door and they're like in a loop. <laughs> and that's, that's interesting to see. Um, I would say that like parts where it's frustrating, it's definitely my fault. Like, <laughs> uh, actually I could talk about frustration and game design a little bit, but I'll talk about the world first. Um, so I had that thought that there should be two halves and that they should be related to each other. So where there's a mountain on one side, there's a mountain on the other side, but on one side it's a snowy mountain, one side it's a volcano mountain. And then I thought, you know, um, there's a river area. So I thought that maybe that river is coming from meltwater from the snowy mountain. Um, and then there's a water area. I thought like the water should be underneath like all that ice is kind of draining into it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So there's relationships like that or the, and then the steam area is was conceived as the combination of like the water from the one side combined with the heat from the volcano. And you could have like this steam powered machinery or something. Yeah. Um, that's and that's, that's really cool. Ideas like that uh, kind of in combined with just ideas for places that might be interesting to go. Um, so I had a bunch of disconnected ideas like this, and then I I would draw out just sort of a high-level map. It's like, this is, I think, where the boss should be um, and how these areas can lay out. And I don't know how many drafts of that I went through. Like, maybe I drew redrew the map from scratch, like just the, the basic, basic high-level map you know, 10 times or something until I thought this seems like a layout that could work. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so after like after drawing it i think about like where does someone need to go how many steps are there to get to you know i have a plan for there will be this thing you can't get through here until you have this lizard how do you get to that lizard and blah 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 um so there that took a, a, a yeah several drafts until i just found one that seemed to work to me and um yeah i guess i guess that's basically all of it um now, well let me yeah. ask you uh where this idea came from one of my favorite parts about the map is how the title screen is just a part of the map like the, the oh, beat yeah. start screen I, I thought that was so that was one of the, it's like one of the first things you do but uh oh, it's just one of the first things that just kind of popped up in my head like wow this is really interesting this is neat i i yeah that was just a thought that i wanted um it's sort of related to how there aren't really cut scenes in the game and there aren't um like there is some dialogue but it's pretty limited mm-hmm. um i didn't want I wanted everything to just be part, cut from the same cloth, like the whole game to be one thing, and the title screen also being part of that. Um, it's like so, a it's like a Quentin Tarantino one shot <laughs> camera game. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, sort of. Um, like there were there are games that did something like like Quake had its uh, difficulty select screen be like a level that you run through. And then, like the hard mode, you have to jump over a pit or something, so it is harder to get to the hard mode. Mm-hmm. I, I always liked that. Um, or like Half Life Two would have the title screen where it's a scene from the game, and I, I liked how that. I think as you went through the game, it would sort of be a scene near where your last save was, so it kind of was like it was following you. I always liked that. <laughs> um. So I, I just thought it'd be fun to have have a game where just the title screen is part of the game and not a thing in front of the game. Yeah, uh, I just thought that was cool. I just wanted to bring it up because <laughs> it was just something kind of stuck out to me. Um, so, so I would say, um, like I made Lizard intentionally mysterious in a lot of ways, and it is a game that. Um, is frustrating to a lot of people who, you know, would like a different kind of experience where you're being kind of led to the next thing. Um, and I would say like the next, I want to make another game, but I don't want to make this game again. I don't, I have no idea for a lizard sequel or anything like that. I want to make something that's totally the opposite, like just like a fast paced action game, very straight, very direct. Uh, that's kind of at the top of my list of, of games to make right now. Yeah, that was actually going to be one of my questions. If you had any thoughts or plans for future projects, or oh yeah, or, I have uh, I have a whole list. And if, are you planning? I, on... I, I have a list of game ideas that's long enough to last the rest of my life, I'd say, <laughs> but I I don't expect to be able to do them all. Uh, if I if I can manage, I'll make another game, and then. <laughs> after that if i can manage i'll make another game that's um it depends how much comes back from lizard like you know it's had it's sold a, a bit but it's not enough to sustain me for too much longer unless something picks up but um but even if it doesn't you know i'll find work somewhere else and i'll, I'll just continue my 
It's just a matter of how fast, <laughs> how long it will take me to make the next yeah. game. So has Lizard uh, met your expectations for it? Um, Are you a little bit below, a little bit above? We, how's it looking? I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know what to expect. So I, I, my, I didn't have expectations so much as plan for, you know, being okay if it, if it sells nothing so that anything it sells <laughs> comes back and is better than nothing. So, um, I don't know. I wouldn't say it's been selling great or anything, but it's done a little bit and I'm happy that I know some people are playing it anyway. Uh, well, everybody I've talked to that has played it has really liked it. So, I mean, you've got that, at least that gun for you. So maybe word of mouth can keep, keep it spreading. Uh, I will yeah, say but- I'd, I'd, I'd love to see it do really great sales. You know what I, uh, you know what I'd actually really love uh, if it had if I had enough sales that I could afford to uh, do translations of it because I I really would like to make it accessible, more accessible to you know people in Europe, um, and like I I have I've opened it up to volunteers if they want to translate it. Um, someone has expressed interest in translating it into Japanese and that's going to be technically hard, but if mm. they're willing to do the, the language part, I'll implement the, the engineering work. Um, but I'd like to see that, but I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll do as much as I can. <laughs> and if I can't, then I'll do something else. I'll do something that I can make a living on, but yeah, you know, I mean, nice. That's that's a that's a good um good good head on your shoulders about it. Is, I guess is, is, is what I was trying to say. Um, well, I, I guess um what is I, I thought it was really interesting that you released uh, the ten dollar ROM version that people can buy. Which hello people, you can buy a ten dollar ROM version by the way. But uh, alongside the cart, so for us. Um, trying to play it for our show and stuff. Typically, we will we like to use we call mm-hmm. them demo modes. Of course, yours isn't a demo because we can pay you ten dollars, and it's not really a demo if we pay you for it, I guess, right? But uh, <laughs> we call it demo mode on our show. But uh, we like that because it allows us to, um, you know, it's kind of save state and do things that mm-hmm. helps us get further in the game in a shorter time span for playing it for a show. Yeah. But um. So I like that aspect, but what is, I guess, what is more beneficial to you? The, the, the I mean, what, what, I mean, what, first of all, what was your reasoning for doing both of those things? Oh, um, um, I don't know. To me, I thought it was, to me, it's, it's odd how few homebrew, uh, I guess there's not too many very big homebrew releases for any, there's, I would say there's quite a lot of homebrew releases, but not a lot that have been kind of um, selling much of a like uh, like those things like Battle Kid. Mm-hmm. I I thought it was really surprising that Civac doesn't want to sell like a ROM for Battle Kid. Yeah, it almost um, seems like the uh, a lot of the other people that I've seen who have made homebrew games have made. The ROM is almost like a second thought to them, or it's almost like that's a given. 
Um, here you can try to buy the cart if you really want if you really want the game. But I've always yeah. thought that if they want to, they should just sell the ROM because that's the way a lot of people probably want to play games these days. You know? Right. Yeah. Well, I would say um, the kind of person that owns an NES, you know, that's I have one, but I didn't for a long time. Um, not not everyone has one, and a lot of people are still interested in NES games, even if they don't have an NES. Um, you know, I played games and emulators for years before I had the NES, like I was saying. Um, to me, it's, yeah, it's important for the game to be accessible to a wide amount of people, and providing a ROM does that. I think... Um, I've experienced, I've talked to some other people who haven't released a ROM, but have released a thing. I guess the word I was looking for before, like, there's not too many NES games that have been released that are, you know, on sale commercially. I guess that's maybe the wording I should mm -hmm. use. Because, like, there's been a lot of NES homebrew. Most of it is available for free. Uh, it's just released kind of public domain stuff. Mm -hmm. Um and yeah, like most, I would say most of it that has been released for sale uh, has not had a ROM release, uh, at least not for sale. There has been a few now. <laughs> I thought, I was expecting Blizzard to be finished a lot earlier than it was. <laughs> um, but like at the time when I started it, I would, I think there were basically none that were selling, you know, a cartridge and a ROM. Yeah. Um, but I think there were a couple by the time it was released. Uh, so attitudes I've heard are one, you know, if you don't release a ROM, it gets people more interested in the cartridge. We'll buy the cartridge. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I buy that because, like, I think that um, people, I think a lot of people that don't have a Nintendo would want to play the game and would be interested in the game, and. Uh, especially with like you know systems like the analog NT or the retro AVS, or I don't know if you can on the AVS, but a lot of people like play or on the on a jailbroken NES Classic or something like they want something they can play on that. You can take my ROM and run an emulator, play it on that machine, and I think that's cool. Like, um, yeah, yeah, and then I'm, there's the idea I'm... that it, you know. If you release the ROM, it'll be pirated or whatever, but that happens anyway. Mm, yeah. There's I, can't, really no, there's, I can't stop the pirates. Yeah, you, you can't stop it. I, and I will say from my perspective, um, having the ROM actually kind of makes me want the cart. So I'd say <laughs> there's a lot of people out there that feel that way too. You know what I mean? So it's almost like yeah. you want to tr you try the game. And you pay the $10 to try the game, and then it's like, oh, I actually kind of really like this game, so I think I would like to play this on my NES. So there's, I'd say there's at least a fraction of people out there that are yeah. of, of that mindset. Yeah, so that that's even uh, a, another category of people that do both. Um, I, I want to release, I have an old demo version that, you know, before I did a Kickstarter campaign. Um, but I need to, I've been working on a new one, but I haven't quite got it out yet. I've been slow about it. Um, but I, I want a new demo version that's kind of like a short, small piece of the game so people can try it out without paying anything. 
Um, but one that's more representative than the thing that I made four years ago. Yeah, that's a good idea. That was a very unfinished version of the game. Um, so yeah, there's that attitude. The, the other attitude I've encountered is the idea that the game really belongs on the NES and cartridge is the only appropriate form to experience it. And I, I understand that mindset, but it's not something I feel myself, you know? Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't... I like the approach that you're taking, whereas you don't want to hinder anybody from being able to play the game. Like, if you released it cart only, I mean, you'd have to, yeah. it would only be available to people who could use an NES cart, you know? So, yeah. so no, I think you've got the better approach, for sure. Um, well, and me being very interested in homebrew NES games. Like there've been several that have come out and I would rather just own the ROM than the cartridge. I'm not much of a collector actually, but, uh, but I will buy the cartridge just because that's the only way the form I can get in the game. But I'm not that, I think cartridges are kind of cool, but um, I'm happy to have my software, you know, just being, in the ether on my hard drive. <laughs> yeah. A thing that's not really in a specific place, but just a thing I own. And I also figured um, the same thing about, like, if the only way you could get the ROM is pirated, it means nobody who would buy the ROM would send any money to me. They would just pirate it. Yep. So I figure it's it's better to have it out there. <laughs> Better yeah. to give someone an option who wants to do it legally to do that. Absolutely. Um, so one thing that I, I wanted to ask, and you kind of touched on it earlier as we were going to talk about it, but you also mentioned that uh, the game took a lot longer than you had actually planned. Oh, which yeah. Which is probably something that happens to just about every game development. But, uh, you know, you, you also spoke to frustrations of game design and game development. And so what were the most frustrating things that you ran into and kind of what delayed the, the release as well? Oh, uh, actually, uh, what I meant about frustration, uh, sort of a different topic. Okay. Uh, I'm more that in designing, but th those are both, those are, it's also a good question. <laughs> I think he was also... talking about frustrating me. Yeah. <laughs> trying to play the game. <laughs> exactly. Um, Everything I design, if something's a challenge, like I, I have to, I want to incite you to wonder about something or to want to do something. And then I have to, I put an impediment there to make it difficult for you to do it or uh, whatever. But there's, I'm always asking myself is like, is this, is this too frustrating? Is this too much? Is this not enough? Is this too easy? Like too easy is also another problem where mm -hmm. like, you know, you just walk left to right and you're done. And is there any satisfying feeling in it? Um, I wasn't, by the way, I wasn't complaining about being frustrated. I was well, just... it, it can be a complaint. The, the thing about that is every single decision like that, they're very hard decisions are very subjective decisions. And every choice I make, is going to hurt somebody and make somebody else happy. You know, like I can't, I can't satisfy them both at the same time. And I have to make a choice about right on. which experience is the one I want to enable here. And 
I don't know. I have seen people get really frustrated by my game to the point of giving up and not wanting to play anymore. And I have seen people get really enjoy the same parts. So it's <laughs> it's choices I have to make. Yeah. Uh, Anyhow, well, so that's what I meant about frustration in design. It's a it's an integral component trying to frustrate people. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> which is yeah. weird. Um, but making the game, um, yeah, I would say the hard part about game development is just it takes a lot of diligence, a lot of time. Um, you have ideas. Ideas are very quick and easy in, in general. You have ideas way faster than you can actually implement anything. Um, so... Like, what made this game take so long? I mean, part of it's just me not being an efficient person, but um, part of it was I made what I thought was half the game for the original demo for the Kickstarter, and um, sort of what I was talking about, like, limitations of the NES, you have size constraints on just how big the data in your cartridge is. Mm -hmm. That's, you know... If if you they come in in powers of two, you add one more pin to the chip, you get twice as much memory that you can address. Um, so after the Kickstarter, I was looking at it and I thought I should double the ROM. I should go to the next size up and make a bigger game. And I hadn't initially planned to do that, but after like getting that far and seeing what I could do with 256 kilobytes, I was like I. I should do it. I had a little more money than I'd planned to from the Kickstarter, and um, I moved out of where I was living and cheaper rent now. So my cost of living went down, and I got a little more money than I expected from the Kickstarter. So I decided I would just do that. I didn't think it would take as much more work as it did, but... Uh, it really, did, really did cause a lot more time. So it just took more time because you just made the game better. It wasn't. It wasn't like a part frustration of it, yeah. part. Of um, it. Yeah, yeah. Part of it. Well, the the other thing about being a solo developer, uh, and you know, I have ideas all the time, but I I'm the only person doing any part of it. Mm -hmm. So if a task like making a boss, you know. I have to design the boss. I have to sketch out concepts before I start drawing sprites so that I know what I'm going to draw. And then I have to actually draw the sprites. And then I have to assemble them, put them in the game. I have to program all the pieces of the boss. I have to do all the sounds. I have to do like every single piece of it where, you know, at a, at a professional company with 10 people, that would be handled by different people. And the same task would be done I'm not sure if that's more or less efficient than one person doing it. Some people say like you add more people and the efficiency goes down, but but you could would... be working on something else at the yeah. same time. Yeah, you know? like the sprite art could be done at the same time as the sound art and the sound stuff, and they're both ready, you know, a day or two later. Instead of no, I do this for a day, then I do this for a day, then I do this for a day, yeah. and it's just um, having to do every single part of it myself makes everything take longer than I think it's going to. And also just longer than I would be used to if I was doing something similar, like on a 
uh, modern game, working with a team. And I really miss working, you know, with teams uh, on games. And that's part of the thing, like, now that this is done, I'm not sure I would like to make another game. I also kind of would like to find a game company with some good people in it that I could work with. Work on a team, yeah. <laughs> I miss that, but uh, that's a decision I'll make when I have to. Well, um, we've taken up way too much of your time, and I'm, I apologize for that, but thank you for oh. giving it to us. Um, I guess let me let me ask you one more question from my sure. end, if Justin has anything else he can ask. But I just want to know, is there anything, you're talking about all these ideas you had for the game, is there anything that you wanted to put in there but you just had to leave out and maybe you'll put it in a game in the future just the, an idea that you had that you thought you could put in this game you just decided mm-hmm. i'm gonna have to scrap it maybe i can put it in another game someday um i'm not sure often i often i have ideas for things that um i i, I whenever i have ideas for things i write i try to write them down i, I have long pages of notes like, like i said I, I have i think i have enough game ideas to last the rest of my life <laughs> um but i have a lot of unconnected ideas that i just sort of save until i think of a place to put them uh i'm trying to think of any if anything was cut from lizard and this is one thing i've been saying for a long time like you know being being so late on a kickstarter thing i have people asking me you know, when's this going to be done the whole time because <laughs> you know the whole time it was late and well, and with kickstarter know. people are always wondering if it's a scam right the, the oh things. yeah i yeah and i mean i can't i can be 100 percent convinced that i'm going to finish it but i you know there's no way i can make someone have faith in me for that so i i accept someone else like i offered refunds to anybody it was like the wait's been too long that's that was okay for me but um just that aspect of uh i didn't set a deadline for myself specifically so that i could work on everything until i think it's what i wanted it to be like not and not saying that, that i think the game is perfection or anything like that just um I didn't feel that there were there weren't things that were cut by the end from my original kind of big plan. Um, I kind of worked on them until they met that goal, and I, I was very happy with that. I wouldn't get that in in any kind of commercial game development generally. Yeah. That's good. Um, I, I can definitely appreciate that. That really yeah. like I, mean, I know how to make something to a deadline, and that's a different task. Yeah, <laughs> and I could have done that with Blizzard, but I didn't want to. I generally appreciate, I mean, we all have gigantic backlogs of games to play already anyways, right? So I, I yeah. th- these days I always appreciate when a game just, they just take their time <laughs> and they just make it until it's done, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't take the cake out before it's a cake, you know? Yeah, I forget who said, there's a famous game director, I forget who it was, but he would say like, you know, a game is late temporarily, temporarily, but a bad game is bad forever. I think that was actually it maybe like, Miyamoto or somebody. It may, I think it was a Nintendo game. Yeah, it might have that. been. But yeah, uh, yeah, but, a, a good game is delayed temporarily, but a bad game is always bad or something like that. Yeah. 
So I would say as long as you're sure you can finish it, then it's probably a better bet to spend more time on it. But like in with the commercial reality of things, there's a finite amount of time you can spend money on it. So right. I don't know. There's that aspect too, which is actually quite important to that just because if you don't finish it, then it gets canceled <laughs> and then you're stuck with nothing. Mm, yeah, that's pretty rough. <laughs> so with this, I was able to stretch things out for a long time, longer than I wanted it to be, but uh, I'm satisfied with the result. Yeah, and Actually, I, think... I, would, I would say one thing that I just thought of one thing that I had in my original plans. So I was talking about like relationships between like the volcano and the, um, so there's like a forest area with trees mm -hmm. and on the other side, it's like a maze of kind of cedar hedges. Um, and my thought was that in one of my plans, the forest was next to the mountain. Um, so on the other side you had the volcano and it was going to be a forest that's on fire which I thought oh, would have wow. been really cool kind of atmospheric thing and, and opportunities for stuff there. So that's an idea I had, but I eventually moved them apart and, and kept that. Um, but it's something that could have happened if I had laid out the world differently and decided that was a thing to keep. So I think there are a bunch of ideas like that, but it's hard to think of what yeah. um, was cut. Because I, I settled a lot of that stuff way earlier on, and it's been kind of years kind of just filling in the ideas that I had that I kept. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, well, I think uh, I think you ended up with an excellent game and well, uh, I think we're all Yeah, absolutely. we're all impressed and everybody I've talked to is impressed. I I hate that I didn't hear about it sooner. We actually had to one of our uh, listeners uh, did Stephen Michael from Facebook. Shout out to you. But he he brought it to our attention and we <laughs> we were all just kind of like, "Hey, wow." Yeah. I I hope it finds its way to people that will enjoy it. Um yeah, like I, I don't think it's a game for everybody, but I think there's certain kind of people that will like it a lot. I think I would like it a lot if I could play it without having made it. <laughs> uh, that is a problem. You never get to really play your own game the way that you play a new game. Yeah, yeah, I can understand so. that. So what, what can uh, so to wrap it up again? Thank you for sticking sticking it out longer than expected oh, with sure. us. From. But uh, what what can we do to help you get the word out? Is there any hashtags we all should be using, and and where oh, can I we go? Know. Where can we go to buy the game if anybody listening wants to buy the game? Uh, oh well, it's just lizardnes.com, all all one word, lizard and three letters. Um, and that's just it. I guess there's a hashtag lizardnes <laughs> if you want to use a hashtag, but. Uh, Otherwise, just tell people about it. If you like it, tell people who you think would like the game about it. That's all I can say. Um, and if you are enjoying it, uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And thanks very much for playing my game. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. And uh, again, everybody out there, if you want to hear us talk about Lizard in more of a format similar to our typical show, you can go listen to that on Patreon. Um. But other than that, I hope you guys have enjoyed this uh, interview we've had with Brad. Thanks again, Brad, for coming on. Justin, you got anything else? No, I just, you know, thanks again. And uh, we really enjoyed this. And thanks for 
coming on and spending some time with us and uh, enlightening us on uh, this game and as well as the development process. It's, it's been really enjoyable. Agreed. All right. Well, bye, everybody. Yeah. All right. Thank <laughs> you.